Hi, Wealthers. Welcome back to another episode of The Money Brew, uh, my podcast. I'm the host, Kylie Saldana. And today I have a special guest, uh, Sego Siripaka. That's right. Is it? I pronounced it correctly. That's right. Perfect. Sego is an advisor and he works for us at Creo Wealth. You've been with us since the, start the of beginning the- of this year. So um, 2023, we're in right now. Um, and you have just become a self-managed super fund specialist. That's correct. Yes. So what what does that mean, Sego? So what it means is that it's a qualification that you do through the self-managed super fund association, essentially. Yep. Um, it just gives you an extra credit or qualification in terms of special uh, self-managed super fund speciality. Yep. So it's just a point of difference that I wanted to kind of be a niche in. Yeah. Concentrate on, yeah. Yeah, so you want to concentrate on self-managed super funds, but right. what else? So, what what other sort of advice do you do you do? Like, what what's your what's your passion? What, what sort of clients do you like to help? So, with uh, advice, I generally provide good say, you know, super insurance investment, yep. debt management, cash flow advice. Mm-hmm. Um, self-managed super funds is a bit more niche with things. Yep. But I enjoy helping out clients looking at their holistic, um, you could say. A holistic approach with things. So what I mean by that is when you look at, you could say the foundation of anything, it's mm-hmm. a budget. Yeah. Um, once you know what the budget is, that's when you can kind of allocate funds into savings, investing and all yeah. those things. Yeah. So predominantly as an advisor, that's what we're kind of looking at in terms of how are you able to build wealth? Mm-hmm. How are you able to accumulate? How are yeah. you able to build up your, you could say, invest, investment portfolio over time? Yep. So when somebody first contacts you, somebody calls and says, I need help. I want to build wealth, you know, I, I want to retire early or whatever their goals are. What's something that one of the first things that you would look at? First things? Well, the first things is trying to find out if they know, if they have an idea of what their budget is and what their expenses are. Yeah. Because 99 out of 100 clients call up and they don't know what that is. Yeah. And it's always... Well, goals, a lot of them don't yeah, know what they want the, even. Yeah, they just the know they part. want to do something. They're not yeah. quite sure what it is. Yeah. yeah, the second part is the goals because clients call up and... They don't have any goals in mind. They don't yeah. know when they want to retire. They don't know how much they need for retirement. They don't know how to use the assets they've got to kind of build and generate wealth. So yeah. it's kind of finding out what their budget is, but also what their goals are yeah. in terms yeah. of things. And I think it's a common myth too that people think you need to be earning a lot of money to start investing or saving. It's not necessarily the case, is it? No, it's just being consistent over time. It's like going to the gym. You just got to show up every day, just like investing. You just yeah. got to invest over a long period of time, essentially. So, so small, small little things along the way add up to one big thing. So That's right. Compound yeah. interest, right? Our best friend. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the SMSF, so self-managed super fund. So we don't want to use too much yarding here. Yeah. If you do do that, I will pull you up. <laughs> um, but I did, I did forget to say that anything we talk about here is general only. So this is not personal advice. It's not intended to be personal advice or investment advice. So seek professional help before you do anything. Yes. yes. Um, and we can give you Seagull's number if you need. <laughs> <laughs> so self-managed super funds. So this is actually a special interest that you have. Why? Why do you have a special interest in self-managed super funds? What's the attraction? Well, the attraction for me is the differences between that and a normal, you could say, super fund account. Yep. With a self-managed super fund, you're given, you could say, uh, accessibility to different investment options. You've got more control. Um, it can be, you know, in, uh, including 
uh, up to six other trustees or directors. So you can have your family involved in the whole process, mm-hmm. pulling your assets together yep. with things. So it's much more interesting as compared to a normal, you could say, super fund where, mm-hmm. for instance, you're just investing by yourself, essentially. Yeah, okay. With a self-managed super fund, you can look at um, intergenerational wealth, um, looking at you know building up your assets yep. um, along with your family or other, you could say, um, trustees or directors. But you kind of have more control in the whole process with things because you kind of direct and um, you could say advocate what needs to happen with it. Okay. Yeah. So what are some of the key, would, would you say they're some of the key advantages of having a self-managed superannuation? Self- <laughs> An SMSF. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you're looking at, you could say accessibility to different investment options, yeah. um, different diversification in terms of assets, because you can invest in, you could say commercial assets and uh, residential or investment assets yeah. with things. Now there's other assets that you can invest in yes. as well, isn't there? Some there people, is. is it like art? And yes, artworks like you've got behind you. Um, there's collectibles yep. that you can't really use for personal use. You can have within a self-managed super fund. Um, other things like gold bars, um, other collectibles such as motor vehicles, um, crypto. That's something that's not common, but um, there is, you could say, some clients kind of looking into that space. But more or less, it gives you options to a diverse range of investments. Okay. So coming with all of that, if you don't have any knowledge in any of those investment vehicles, it would be important to seek professional advice on that. That's right, yes. Yes. So somebody comes to you and says, I want to buy some gold bars. What's the first thing you'd think of? What's the first questions you'd be asking them? Well, why do you want to buy gold bars? Mm. That's probably the first question because gold bars aren't, you could say, you can't move around gold bars that easily, can you? No, you can't. It's quite heavy. Um, you know, where are you going to store it? That's the second part because you, for SMSF or self-managed super fund assets, you can't really have it for personal use mm-hmm. or you could say it can't be used for the members either. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that you've got to have like a storage facility to house the artworks and the gold and the collectibles. Right, so you can't keep it on your wall in your home. You no. Can't, you can't have your gold bar under your pillow or anything. Unfortunately, it's not for personal gratification. Okay. Um, it has to be stored somewhere and that has to be, you could say, put in, you could say, the self-managed super fund trust deed and... Right. It has to be kind of all compliant from oh, that perspective as well. That's interesting. And how often is it is the fund meant to be audited? So audits happen every year. Yep. Uh, financial statements also have have to happen every year. So an accountant would organise the financial statements for the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, they would also um, organise the auditing of the fund as well to make sure uh, we don't have an issue like Melissa Caddock. Um, oh gosh, yes. Hmm. But um, to ensure that you could say the funding is operating correctly, but more or less um, adhering to the guidelines and the rules of the Australian Tax Office or okay. ATO. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you were talking before about trustees yes. of the fund. Yes. Can you explain that to me? Yep. So there's two different, um, you could say, structures that um, a self-managed super fund can be set up as. There's something called individual trustees mm-hmm. and there's something called um, directors, essentially. Yep. So individual trustees, there needs to be a minimum of two individual trustees, which means that there'd be two people part of the fund, essentially. Uh Um, The issue with that is, unfortunately, people have a habit of dying. So if someone um, passes away, what needs to happen is that that fund needs to be wound up, essentially. Oh, really? Yes. And the fund's got six months to do so. Okay. Um, The difference between that and, you could say, uh, a corporate trustee or a company is that um, a company or the you could say corporate trustee, they only need, they can be, you could say one um, director. Okay. So it kind of, it doesn't need to be anybody else. So that's pretty much the differences between the structures. Mm-hmm. With individual trustees, it's more cheaper to set up. 
but it becomes more difficult when somebody passes away or right. becomes deceased with a corporate trustee um it's irrespective they can just be one person directing the activities okay yes um so we were talking about um oh actually let's just stay there for a minute what are the responsibilities and obligations that they have Responsibility, responsibilities and obligations. So there's obligations that the fund um, be invested for sole purpose. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that um, for the members, it has to be invested as per, mm-hmm. you could say, for the benefits of the members' retirement or the director's retirement um, benefits, essentially. Yeah. Um, the other, you could say, compliance parts is ensuring that the fund um, is compliant. Mm-hmm. which adheres to, you could say, the tax concessions by the Australian Tax Office. Mm-hmm. If, a become, if a fund becomes non-compliant or, um, you could say, not complying with the standards, there's different tax rules that apply. Mm-hmm. So with the tax concessions, the ATO provides 15%, mm-hmm. and that's with the self-managed super fund assets. Yep. If you don't adhere to that and if a fund becomes non-complying, it can be as high as 45 up to 50%. Mm-hmm. More or less, the other rules is pr- pretty much around residency. So ideally, you want to be living in Australia. If you're living overseas, there's certain rules that are kind of applied to living overseas. You've got to have someone still Australian-based with that, essentially, just to put it in without too much jargon and without too much, you could say, um, yeah, uh, without too much jargon and without uh, too much complexity. It's probably the easiest way to put it. So for a self-managed super fund, there's a certain amount that you would need to start the fund. So yes. what what is the ideal or what what is what does ASIC, um, which is the Australian Securities Investment Commission, what do they say so, is the ideal? So ASIC kind of implies that you need about $200,000 to $250,000 to start up a self-managed super fund. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different to our guidelines part of the licensee, which... Um, you know, uh, it's about $500,000 to start up a self-managed super fund. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, ideally you'd have to have about $350,000 to about $400,000 to start up a self-managed super fund. The reason for that is that's kind of a price point where you'd be able to make it cost effective for your, you know, the trustees involved yeah. um, because you've got to have an advisor to kind of direct the investment options. You've got to have an accountant in the process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, doing the financial statements, audit reports, and overall um, administration of the fund. Mm-hmm. So that's what I give as a guideline, but more or less around that mark to have appropriate diversification. Yep. Yeah. So um, going back to the investment choices, yes. so are there any traditional super funds or are there any other way you can structure your super without starting a self-managed super fund if you don't want the complexity of that? Yeah, more or less there's industry super funds or retail super funds that provide similar options in terms of what's available in the self-managed super fund. So you've got the likes of Australian Super, Australian Retirement Trust. There's other, you could say, industry super funds as well. And then you've got retail funds such as AMP, Macquarie, um, you've got BT or Mercer. You've also got Colonial. Mm -hmm. Um, With those, you could say, platforms um, or fund managers, essentially... They've got the diversification that's similar to a self-managed super fund, mm-hmm. but more or less, um, they've got you know each each provider that I've listed kind of have different a number a different number of investment options available. Yeah. That's very similar, but there are some differences in terms of the other investments that you can have in a self-managed yeah. super fund. Yeah. yeah, so I guess that would be something you would assess if somebody comes in and they think 
that they want to self-manage super fund because they want a little bit, little bit more control over their money. They're, they're showing an interest and they, you know, want to kind of make some of their own choices. That's right. Um, so that's when you would look at their situation. So if they didn't have quite enough money or if it wasn't going to be viable for them to start a self-managed super fund, so that's when you would look at the other options and then they could potentially, because I think you can buy and sell shares, there's different things you can that's do right. to choose your investments and how it's spread. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So if the clients aren't appropriate for a self-managed super fund at this stage, it doesn't discount them from being, uh, you know, it being appropriate for them at a later stage. So what our main priority would be would be wealth creation. Mm. So ensuring that they're contributing into super, they're um, investing it correctly to be able to reach that balance. Mm -hmm. After we kind of reach that balance, that's when we kind of um, have a discussion whether or not it would be an appropriate structure for them. If not, that's fine. We can keep um, going the way that we're going yep. and building up and accumulating wealth. Yep. But if it's an appropriate structure, that's when we'll have further discussions and we'll let the client know what needs to be involved in the whole process with them. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to talk about superannuation for a moment. It's a, a, a real misconception um, at the moment. People just forget about it. They just kind of leave it. What would you say to somebody who just gets their super statement and just kind of files it away and doesn't even consider? They just, you know, their employer puts the money in and they just, that's, that's enough. What, what would you say to them? I think being more hands-on would benefit you over the long run. That's what I think. Because those statements, if you're not paying attention to them, you don't really know how your super balance is actually going, whether or not that's, you could say, increasing or decreasing forwards or backwards. Yep. So what clients or people need to understand is that that super balance kind of shows you what, uh, what investments that you've got in super, whether or not you've got insurance within the fund. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I had a client that was relatively young and he was invested in cash for five years for some reason. Um, if you're not paying attention to the funds or the super statements, yeah. you're not really knowing where you're going. Yeah. yeah. And um, the, the sooner that you kind of take on a more hands-on approach with looking at those statements, I think the more engaged that you would be with super moving forward because I know for some people it's a 30-year, 20-year, 10-year plan. Yeah. But more or less, the earlier that you pick it up and kind of look at things, that's when you become more engaged and want to find out more about, for instance, um, investing, yep. um, managed funds, ETFs yeah. and shares. And where your funds yeah. are invested, right? Because there's right. a lot of, um, you know, social issues and everything now. So if you don't want to be invested in, say, coal or things like that, so it pays to have a look at those sort of things. Uh, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of um, ethical investing going on at the moment with um yeah, around the world. Um, I think that's kind of a bigger part of the investing for younger and older people yep. moving forward. Yeah. But it's definitely something that's only been introduced in the last three years. Yeah. Things. I know we had a client years ago, I think um, they had family members that died from lung cancer. So they were very adamant that they didn't want anything that was investing in tobacco. Yeah. So I think um, Anthony had to find some investment. Yeah. There was no tobacco or, no, you know, no no related companies to tobacco companies. And I yeah. fully understand and, and support that, which is fantastic. Okay, so you go. Yeah. I've heard sole purpose test thrown about with self-managed super funds. Can you explain that to me a little bit more? So more or less the sole purpose test is ensuring that the funds or the self-managed super fund is invested for the benefits of the trustees or the you could say corporate trustees or directors yep. benefits for retirement. Okay. So what that means is 
essentially you want to be accumulating and building up wealth for that purpose. Yep. It shouldn't be used, you could say, as a ATM or you could say taking funds at that, that environment essentially. Yep. Have you yeah. seen that happen when you, while you've been advising? Have you seen that happen and the consequences I, of that? I personally haven't seen um, misconduct like that, but it's definitely in the news articles and you hear about the articles yeah. about, for instance, an advisor that's taken out from the client's self-managed super fund cash account. Yep using their funds for personal benefit, oh. things like that. Oh, lovely. So yeah. it's it's not a good outcome because what you should be doing as an advisor is to kind of build up these clients, to build up their wealth, to be able to meet their goals yep. and essentially enjoy retirement when that time exactly. comes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what the whole Royal Commission came about, wasn't it? Yes, a lot of people, the... yeah, some people doing the wrong thing makes, unfortunately, all of us look bad. It does, yeah, unfortunately. Um, and the whole Melissa Caddick thing yeah. did not help, did it? No. no. Um, but that's a whole other issue. Let's just not even touch on no. that. Yes, let's not get too political. So talk to me about estate planning for a self-managed super fund. What are some things that people need to do? So for estate planning, um, one consideration actually is even though if a client has a will, mm -hmm. the self-managed super fund is still bound by the superannuation, you could say beneficiary nominations. Mm -hmm. So this is one thing that's um people that have a self-managed super fund may be confused because they may think that the funds would be allocated to the will and mm. the executor of the will would kind of, you could say, execute the assets and liabilities and kind of have a look at what assets are left over yep. and then distribute accordingly to the beneficiaries nominated. Okay. But in actual fact that with a self-managed super fund, you've actually got a uh, beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that like with your normal super account, mm -hmm. you've actually got beneficiary nominations that you can make, right? Um, with a self-managed super fund, it's essentially the same thing. Okay. So it's good to have a beneficiary nominated in the event that something happens to the the member. Mm -hmm. But essentially, um, what would happen is that the funds would be distributed to, for instance, uh, based on the um, beneficiary nomination. Mm -hmm. And thereafter, what happens is that after that, it's kind of up to them to spend, you could say, the proceeds accordingly. Okay. Um, there's a misconception that the self-managed super fund would go straight to the will, but the first point would be the actual superannuation beneficiary nomination. Because it comes under the same rules as the right. retail funds. Yeah, of course, yep. of course. So, so you go. Insurance within super. It's, when you start a self-managed super fund, is it you, you need to have some sort of risk insurance with that? or Definitely. Um when, when you're looking at a self-managed super fund, or you could say um, insurance, what you want to be covered for is essentially your your liabilities. Yep. So having your, for instance, principal residence, mm -hmm. um, you know, the liabilities against that, investment properties, any other, you could say, me medical expenses, mm -hmm. any, you could say, schooling fees, mm -hmm. any other costs in relation to the funeral. Yep. Essentially, you want to have those insurances covered um, in the event that something happens to you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's different insurance types. There's life insurance, there's total and permanent disablement insurance, which is TPD insurance, um, and you've got income protection mm -hmm. insurance. Mm -hmm. Basically, they can be all held within the self-managed super fund, essentially. So okay. what I mean by that is that the premiums would be funded from the self-managed super fund balance. Okay. Um, there's also trauma insurance cover, and that's held outside super, and that's pretty much covered by the member, essentially, outside yep. super. With the three covers that I mentioned inside super, such as the life, total, and permanent disablement cover and income protection, mm -hmm. that can also be held outside super as well. Yep. 
and you know looking at the tax advantages it may be worthwhile kind of speaking to an accountant or an advisor in terms of how you structure it mm -hmm. but predominantly it would be based on your cash flow and whether or not you can afford to exactly. structure it that way. Yeah. Yeah. and i mean that's just another benefit of coming to see an advisor because you can work out those strategies for them the best way to do that that's right um so with the super so let's talk about the contributions that we can make yep. um just so the listeners know what kind of contributions can go into so it's mandatory that your employer pays at this date in 2023 it's it's 11 percent. yes that's yes, right yes it's 11 so it's going to go up to 12 um you could say by the financial year 2025 yep. so we're currently in the 23 24 financial year which is 11 percent. next financial year will be 11 and a half percent and the year following would be 12 percent yes so those contributions um are added to the concessional cap which is for um, anybody, it's $27,500. Mm -hmm. And essentially, um, that cap is essentially just to ensure that people don't go over that cap. Yep. Yeah. And when you say concessional, yes. what does concessional mean? So concessional means that it's part of the employer benefits or you could say the SG contributions that the employer makes to yep. a person or employee. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the maximum that someone can be able to contribute to that. Yep. And there's a special tax rate that's applied to that. Well. That's right. And that's 15%. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody that kind of earns above the $200,000 mark, they'd be paying a different tax, which is called a Division 297 tax. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, based on, you could say, your income and the super contributions that okay. would be made. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So apart from those contributions, you can also contribute your own money yes. that you've already paid tax on. Yes. And that's called uh, after-tax, you could say, contributions or non-concessional contributions. And so why would someone want to do that? Why would you want to just throw some money into super? So the reason why you may decide to do a non-concessional contribution or after-tax contribution is, for instance, if you sold your home, mm -hmm. um, you've received an inheritance, mm -hmm. um, you want that money to kind of go into super to compound and build up your wealth. Mm -hmm. um, those are considerations that most clients would have um, contributing after-tax money. Mm -hmm. But more or less, um, some clients, for instance, don't know what to do with it. They don't want it to be sitting in a cash account, you know, cash at bank or under the mattress, essentially. Yep. Um, so what they do is, you know, um, if they're approaching retirement, it may be a suitable strategy to be actually putting that money into super to be able to compound and grow yeah, over time. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, a lot of the younger generation kind of don't think that super is viable for them because they're so young. And I mean, it, it, they do have a long time before they can access that money but i personally see it as a way to put that money away and you can't actually touch it and then therefore it's kind of like in a tax haven i guess you say because that can turn into a tax-free income once it gets there so what at what age does that turn into a tax-free income so the earliest that um, someone can be able to access the money is 60 and that's dependent on you could say the preservation age it mm -hmm. really depends on what year you're born essentially yeah but rule of thumb, um, in most general cases, it's age 60. Mm -hmm. So if you're retired by age 60 and you meet the conditions of release, mm -hmm. that's when you can start accessing your super or retirement benefits. Yep. Um, but yeah, at 60 would be the earliest age. Mm -hmm. um, and it really depends on yeah you meeting the conditions of release. So conditions of release is retirement. Um, there may be other reasons such as um, financial... Um, Hardship, yeah, that's hardship. it. Yeah, financial yeah. hardship. Yeah, there's a whole process. You yeah, that's right. That, yeah. But there's also other reasons. But yeah, the earliest would be age 60. Yeah, don't yeah. tell Anthony I'm quizzing you on this. I've got eight years to go. <laughs> 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 but 
Um, That's our secret, so you go. So thank you for sharing those insights. Um, So what's I'm going to ask you a couple of top three tips. So top three tips for, say, somebody that's, you know, earning, say, $80,000 upwards, you know, they've got a bit of spare money, you know, after their expenses and they're kind of thinking about investing. They're kind of looking at their super. They're not quite sure. What, what What's your top three tips for them? What, what should they do first? Top three tips is basically um, depending on how much you're earning, mm-hmm. save more than you're spending. That's probably the first tip because a lot of young people kind of um, just go all out. Live for the here and now, right? Yeah, YOLO, right? Live for the gram. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You only live once, right? Yeah. That's probably my first tip. Um, the second tip is to be more attentive to your finances. Mm-hmm. So not just the budgeting, but kind of looking at your overall situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not really going to be generating too much from cash at bank mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. but look at, you know, the different investment option vehicles and take a keen interest in investing. Yep. Okay. Um, the third one is look at the power of compounding. Wonder of the world. That's right. So there's this um there was this book I was reading um I can't, can't remember the book but it was about what's what outcome is better or what outcome would you take um would you rather take a penny that doubles um every day for thirty one days mm-hmm. or would you rather take the three million dollars cash um the power of compounding is that the the penny that doubles or compounds within that 31 days actually provides a larger, you could say, outcome. It's about $5 million at the end of the 30 days. Wow, okay. So just have a look at the power of compounding because the earlier that you do start, um, the more that you're going to have at the end of the... Exactly. And I think too, the earlier you get into investing, um, and I think people worry about market corrections and, and, you know, share prices going down, housing prices, but... If you start younger, you've got more time to recover from those corrections. Is that, is that is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So as someone has a long investment time frame, they've got time to go through the market up cycles and down cycles. Yep. Um, so essentially what you can do is generally um, you can take a bit of risk with things. Yep. Um, because if you've got 30 years, that's 30 years for you to go through the ups and downs. Yep. Um, however, um, once you get or approach retirement, such as, you know, you've got five years left, there's mm-hmm. something called sequencing risk that is, you could say, an issue mm-hmm. because essentially that's when your retirement savings or super is at its most high. Mm-hmm. And if there's a market correction at that point, what it means is that markets can fall down in the, you could say, in the six-month um, period, mm-hmm. but it can take five to eight years to recover to that amount pre, um, you could say, recession or pre-market downturn. So that's something that we would look at in terms of the client situation, whether or not they want to retire in the next five years, because ideally you want to prevent someone losing um, money just there as uh, before they're about to retire. Yeah, of course, because yeah. they've worked hard all their lives for that money, right? The last thing you want to see is it going down before you're about to retire and that's access right. it. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yeah. Thank you for that. So my next top three yep. is if someone is considering a self-managed super fund. I didn't twist my words on that one. And yep. SMSS. Yeah. If they're considering an SMSF, what are your top three tips for them? Top three tips is have a sizable balance. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by sizable balance is something within the vicinity of three hundred thousand dollars to start with, mm-hmm. up until you know a million dollars plus. So that's kind of the range that you want to be ideally looking at a self-managed super fund. Mm-hmm. 
The second one is basically know that there's duties, obligations, and responsibilities as trustees. Mm -hmm. So you can't be sitting around uh, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. There's things and paperwork that you've actually got to sign as part of it. Um, so that's something that the advisor or the accountant would organize with the client, mm -hmm. but there's a more hands-on approach with things. Yes. Um, and what I mean by that is there's meeting minutes, there's paperwork that needs to be signed, mm -hmm. there's uh, financial statements that needs to be looked at, there's an order report that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So it's a much more um, engaging process as opposed to a normal retail fund yeah. or industry super fund. Yeah, Because, I mean, yeah. there can be quite high fees involved in a self-managed super fund. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. you want to make sure you're getting the most out of it. Yep. Sorry, and what was your third tip? And the third tip was looking at the investment classes that you want to be invested in. Yeah. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that want to be invested in so-called property. Mm -hmm. But one of the questions that I need to ask clients is, have you looked at the price range that you want to be invested in? Um, the, the price of the property that you want to be invested in. Um, have you looked at the area geographically, whether or not the rental income is going to be suffice to pay off the mortgage? Yes. Uh, but more or less, um, it's just understanding what your goals are because the property would only be a part of the asset classes invested within a self-managed super fund. Yeah. So what I ask clients is pretty much what your goals are, mm -hmm. how are we going to achieve that, mm -hmm. and what strategies we can implement to be able to achieve those goals. Yeah, and I love that. Everything's driven around the client goals. It's obviously because that's, you know, we're, we're working hard for them so that they get the retirement of their dreams essentially. Pretty much, and if the client can't tell me what their goals are, um, there's no, you could say, benchmarking or direction with things. Yep. Yep. So it's pivotal that clients um, know what they want. Yep. Because if you don't know what you want, I can't help you, unfortunately. Yep. Unfortunately. And yeah. that's fair. I mean, for anyone we see, if, if you don't really know what you want, have, it's, it's actually interesting. Sorry, I'm yeah. digressing a little yeah. bit. Um, we've And I know Anthony's often seen couples um, that just are not on the same page when it comes to their goals. Have you ever had anything like that? Like a couple that are definitely um, different pages. Clients can uh, be, you could say, in two frames of mind. So there could be a husband and wife, for instance, or two partners, um, and they see life as two different uh, in two different perspectives. Mm. So one wants to be a spender, mm. a big spender, no pretender. So wants to go overseas, wants to um, you know travel around the world and have fun, right? And then you've got, you could say, the saver, which um, is a person that just wants to stay at home and really do nothing, just wants to enjoy their lives because they're more probably introverted. A tight-ass. Yeah, tight-ass. Yeah. Uh, but more or less um, with that. I say that with so much respect <laughs> because that's Anthony. Yeah. That's, yeah. But we, with things, right, um, I think the best investment that someone can have is basically choosing the right financial partner mm. or partner financially because if you're not on the same page or if your universe is apart, it doesn't really help to what your overall goals are. Yeah. Because if you're a unit or a couple, ideally your vision or goals want, are aligned with things. They are. So it's it's very difficult to kind of um, speak to those clients because one will kind of go that way, the other <laughs> will go that way. So it's 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 something that coaching and kind of understanding what their goals are um, mm. and helping along them, them the process with things. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because yeah. I think you just explained yeah. Anthony and myself. <laughs> I'm the spender, no pretender, and Anthony's the tight ass. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to get a shirt yeah. made with that. Yeah. yeah. So Anthony's going to yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you go, thank you so much for chatting with me today about just superannuation, but the self managed super funds, because I know, yeah. you know, a lot of people think that it's a glamorous thing, a self-managed super fund, and they can control their money and they think they can do this, that, and the other. But there's a very serious aspect 
to an SMSF and that can become costly, particularly if you don't get the right advice. That's correct. Um, before I go, have you seen have you seen what's happened if somebody has not gotten the right advice or if they've not gotten advice at all and just kind of set it up themselves? So in some instances where a person doesn't want to pay for the advice or advice, doesn't want to pay for an advisor to have a look at things, yeah. I've seen self-managed super funds invested just in cash. Mm. You've got you know $250,000 in cash, for instance, or $300,000 in cash. Um, unfortunately, with you know the past 10 years, it's been, you could say, more of a bull market. Yeah. So what's happened in, during a bull market is that with shares and kind of investing, it's kind of gone upwards like that. Yeah. With cash, unfortunately, interest rates being at all-time lows, mm. you're not really going to be generating a great return from that, are you? No. So that's pretty much the worst I've seen it with things mm. because you need an advisor to develop an investment strategy that's specific to your circumstances, mm -hmm. right? And so the advisor would go through the different types of assets mm -hmm. such as, you know, shares, you've got property, which are growth assets. Yeah. And then you've got defensive assets just like cash, term deposits and bonds. bonds yeah. um, but more or less with the growth assets, um, and defensive assets, you want to have a proportion that's based on your risk tolerance mm -hmm. with things. Um, with that, um, you know, if you're invested in the wrong investment options, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you're not really making your money work hard for you. No, exactly. And that's at a detriment to your sole purpose. And it's is, your money, right? You want to yeah. make it work hard. Yeah. yeah. And you want the money to be working hard to generate as much as possible prior to retirement so you can live the life that you want to live in retirement. That's it. Yeah. on the beach that's me that's right drinks with little umbrellas <laughs> that's right so if you're not if you're not seeking advice that's something that you should have a look at because um you know with things you want to ensure that you're making the most money from the money that you have yeah and i think it's easy for us to say that because we see the value and we can see the difference that we make in clients lives financial lives and what it means to them i mean anthony's had clients for 20 odd years and you know we've just change their lives with the advice that he's gotten and so you'll be doing the same thing so well like like you're I, not quite at 20 something years yet i mean <laughs> <laughs> well i like to say that i'm a pup in the industry so i've got a long investment time frame or you could say career time frame yeah so what i mean that is that as clients come on board my train or my journey yeah um i'll be taking them along um you know with their kind of you could say life with things yeah and that's that's always been the reason why i became an advisor to to help out others, just like, for instance, my mum's situation with things. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's, that's, that's why I got into advice to help others and assist them in the process and provide guidance. Yeah. Because yeah. it's interesting because a lot of advisors left the industry after the Royal Commission. So having younger advisors, I won't tell them how old you are. <laughs> it's having younger advisors coming through, you know, for, for us, it's, it's nice because there's still, you know, interest in the industry and, and that people still want to become advisors and have well, a passion. It's, it's a good thing seeing younger or young advisors still coming into the industry or seeing people study financial planning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's definitely an industry that got really wound up during the Royal Commission with mm -hmm. things. But um, as, as time goes on, it's, it's, uh, it would be good to kind of see more people enter the industry because there is a big advice need at the moment. As there you is. see, the baby boomers kind of reach retirement and retire. There is. Uh, there is. And all that generational wealth as well that's going to be coming through. So That's right. Um, yeah. And what is it, the sandwich generation that they talk about? So 
that can be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so again, thank you, Sego, for coming in and chatting to me. And thanks for having me. We will definitely get you in and talk to you about some. Thank you.